Welcome to the Women on the Wall Communication Team Conference Call. I want to thank you all so much for joining me on the call tonight. We've got some important dots to connect, and that's what's amazing about this conference call that we've had for over three years. We've been able to find out information and connect dots with people from all over the country. We've got folks that are we're connected with and that we're following in all 50 states. And so we're able to uh, discern better what's happening in our own communities because we know that this is actually a global vision for a transformation of education. And my special guest tonight we've had on many times, and she's a wealth of information and knowledge. The next big piece of legislation that may or may not come before the next presidential election, but that certainly has already been manipulated and is impacting our children who are in post-secondary and actually adults who are in post-secondary. So I want to welcome to the call tonight Lynn Taylor, who is my dear friend from North Carolina. And for those of you who are new on the call, Lynn, I want to give you a, a moment just to introduce yourself and let people know a little bit about your background, and then we will dive right into this information all the different articles that we'll be discussing tonight and that Lynn has done on her website, which is commoncorediva.wordpress.com. And so, Lynn, are you there? Yes, I am, Alice, and how are you this evening? Doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and I do know that we've got some new folks on the line tonight. And so if you, I know our, our regular folks know exactly who you are, but if you can give the new folks a little bit of background about you and why you got into this battle with us. Okay, sure. Okay, well, welcome all our uh, new listeners and hello again to all our regular listeners. Uh, my name is Lynn Taylor. I am a retired homeschool educator and um, as of 2015, but the reason that I got into the fight against Common Core, career tech education, uh, college career readiness, and uh, STEM is because back in 2009, I was led to some resources from one of our national homeschooling publications called Practical Homeschooling which um, discussed um, the push for global standards and then, of course, the push for national standards. And so because I answered those particular um, articles with lots and lots of questions, that led me to researching because I knew that my students, even though they were homeschooled, I knew that at some point in time they would be in the post-secondary education world. And so I knew that if homeschooling was paying attention to what was going on in the national and global arena, that uh, we all needed to have those conversations. And so the more that I got to dig, the more that I found that it was already well-placed in post-secondary education. And that's been one of my uh, strong arms in all my research. And I've been able to connect so many dots to not just um, American education reform, 
but uh, global that's tied to UNESCO and um, education for all, the goals 2030, 35, um, goals 2020. Um, and so that was why I was led to um, help educate folks into everything that's going on because this is not just about our traditionally schooled K through 12 students. This is something that is impacting um, our folks who are in uh, private education, which encompasses homeschooling, parochial schools, charter schools, and even the adults who are going back to work, uh, excuse me, back to um, education to maybe further their working careers. Um, it's even morphing over into our workforce through the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. So that means that basically anyone who's seeking a job out there after they graduate high school or even post-secondary education, uh, they're going to run into all this alignment. And when we talk about this alignment, I, I want to make clear for, for people, this is a, a shift away from academics reading, writing, math, and history, to this competency-based education for the workforce. Am I correct in that analysis? Oh, absolutely. Lynn? And Yes, absolutely. And um, one of, uh, I've been in several pro-common core or curric, um, excuse me, career tech education, college career readiness webinars here lately, and just one of the ones that I was on yesterday was all about what's known as the um, CEDS, which stands for Common Education Data System. And it is absolutely mind-numbing the amount of data that is being collected, not just on our traditionally K-12 through students, but to every student who enters any sort of educational choice after the traditional K through 12, which, in, um, you know, of course, will encompass your home educated and all those other types of folks as well that I just mentioned, into this data mining industry and how all the states are using either their student longitudinal data system grant money or their workforce innovation um, uh, excuse me, it's the WQDI, which stands for Workforce Quality Data Initiative grant money, to align these data systems to continue to align education to this workforce-based um, system that focuses not on what our children know as far as reading, writing, and arithmetic, or even history, but through what they're terming as the soft skills, which will, what we know as the social-emotional learning. And for for folks who may be following here in Texas, but it's it's happening in all fifty states, we have this new generation of assessments and accountability. And what's happening it's they no longer call it common core. Is that correct? Because of the passage of Every Student Succeeds Act, which is the reauthorization of ESEA, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, they, ha they call them college and career ready standards. Is that correct, Lynn? Okay. Um, what I can tell you, Alice, is that um, in the ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, you will find um, in four different instances, you will find the Common Core State Standards Initiative. 
You will not hear them or see them written as the Common Core State Standards. You will see them go by a couple of different names, and one of them is the um, College and Career Readiness Standards. Another one is going to be your Challenging State Academic Standards. You'll also see competency-based um, standards. You will see post-secondary alignment. You will see um, the Higher Education Act is actually embedded in the Every Student Succeeds Act. You will see the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act also embedded in the um, ESSA. And if you stop and you think about it, if you listen to the popular media spin or you listen to folks who were in Congress who were really touting this ESSA, they kept repeating that it was just for K-12. through But if you really get in and dig into it, you're going to find that it is birth through the workforce and even on into professional development. And one of the things that I was able to learn from the webinar that I went to yesterday on this common educational data uh, standards was that we're looking at a $21 billion industry into our blended and digital push for education. And that's also woven into the ESSA. It's also currently on the uh, version that stands for the Higher Education Act as well. And so we're going to see a continued push because what folks are finding out is that this is a huge money-making market for those who are profiting off our children. That's exactly right. And um, to be clear, one of the key players in implementing this vision of education is Jeb Bush and the Foundation for um, Excellence in Education. Am I correct on that? He's one of the big players. You also need to take into consideration that Senator Lamar Alexander, Senator Patty Murray are also some of the key players. Um, if you go back and you read um, some of the transcripts from some of the hearings that um, predated the passage of ESSA, you will hear both of those senators uh, list off a huge group of groups who were also key in helping pass that. And if you go and you look, they are also the ones who are going to be pushing for the Higher Education Act to be reauthorized as well because what we're finding out is because that Common Core State Standards Initiative was actually embedded in the ESSA four different times, you're going to see that the agenda and the initiative behind the Common Core is still alive and well, and because of that, you're needing to have that streamlined education all the way from birth pretty much to the grave. That's right. Now let's talk a little bit. I'm just going to kind of go down some of these key articles and talk about some of these. Talk to us about the New American Ed Central. And okay. that and, and that organization, that nonprofit organization. Right. Okay. What you need to know about the New American Foundation. All right. Their particular foundation has been made possible to America through generous grants from the Alliance for Early Success, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Campaign for Grade Level Reading the Evelyn and Walter Haas Jr. Fund, the Grable Foundation, the Foundation for Child Development, the Joyce Foundation, 
the Kresge Foundation, the Lumina Foundation, the Pritcher Children's Initiative, the Tides Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, and the W. Clement and Jesse B. Stone Foundation. And so what this particular group is doing is they're not just focusing in on post-secondary. They are focusing in on every um, grade group that you could possibly come up with from uh, birth all the way, as we have said, to the professional development um, arena. And they also have a congressional working group embedded they also have a federal education budget project that Linda Darling-Hammond is um, among the advisors for. And as we have said on uh, previous phone calls, she has been absolutely notorious for a lot of this common core mess that we find ourselves in. And she, her key role, if I am correct on this, is as retraining the next generation of teachers and educators. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, because I know as much research as I have done and as many different post-secondary education uh, institutions that I've had to research that are connected with this, uh, we're going to see some of the same colleges and universities pop up, and each one of them has um, education majors. And so one of the latest things that I've noticed is that there's this national cry over the fact of we're having less and less students um, graduate high school and want to become educators. But what we're seeing when we delve into these particular um, colleges and universities, and it doesn't happen to be just the ones that are associated with Linda Darling Hamming, uh, Hammond, but it could be just any one of the ones that are out there right now, the only way they are grooming future educators is in the outcome-based education or the competency-based education models, which are directly related to the Common Core State Standards and all its predecessors. When we talk about the professional development, of, it's not only of teachers, but it is of administrators, superintendents, and people within these, at the state level, associated with these non nonprofit organizations who are involved in writing legislation, being on the different commissions. For instance, in Texas, we had a, a bill that passed last session that set up this 15-person commission to basically report to the legislature on the next generation of assessments and accountability. But what we know in watching what's happening is the same language that's been that's being pushed by these people and the data collection uh, the the idea that collecting our not only our children's data but uh, you know American citizens' personal data from pre-K through the workforce and that that's perfectly fine. These people have been picked for a reason, and I want to before we go on. I want to put bring on um, and I'm totally putting you on the spot, but I want. I want this point to be made clear. Mary Lou Bruner is on the call with us tonight, 
and Mary Lou is running. It, she's in a runoff in East Texas and for the State Board of Education. And the seat that she would be replacing is that of Thomas Ratliff, who has been on the State Board of Education. He's also a paid, he was illegally on the State Board of Education. He has also been a paid lobbyist for Microsoft and actually testified when they were passing Senate Bill 6, which totally opened up Pandora's box in Texas and allowed for all of our instructional materials to be aligned with the common core philosophy of education, this competency-based workforce model of education. And Mary Lou's opponent has actually been endorsed by Thomas Ratliff. That should be a red flag in and of itself. Would, wouldn't you agree, Mary Lou? Oh, I think it's a terrible red flag. Uh, I don't know if Thomas Ratliff has come out right and said he endorses him, but you know they're always together in in the booth. They were in, together in a booth, uh, ISD booth in Austin recently. And then when they're interviewed, they always have the same talking points. So we know that the Ratliffs are behind uh, Kevin Ellis. And you know it's it's really bad that. Uh, Thomas Ratliff was on the State Board of Education when one of his clients is Microsoft. And Thomas Ratliff has so much influence to be able to push the board toward computerizing everything. And that helped him sell his products, his Microsoft products, and I'm sure it doesn't hurt his salary or his income either. So it's just really bad that Thomas Ratliff is, is there at all, and we're glad he didn't run this time but we believe that Kevin Ellis was chosen to take his place and carry on business as usual once he's in there. Uh, Mike and Moses it, also has, in, mm-hmm. has endorsed Kevin Ellis, and Mike Moses was the Commissioner of Education when Bill Ratliff's father was in the Senate. I think it was probably during the time when he was the Lieutenant Governor for a short time. So uh, Mike Moses... And Bill Bradley's father were really good friends. They worked together in the beginning to get that um, end-of-course test started. Uh, it's, it's been a real long time. So they've been working together a long time. And now Mike Moses is endorsing uh, Bill Ratliff's son, Thomas, um, not Thomas Ratliff, but Bill Ratliff's uh, friend, uh, Kevin Ellis. So here we go. It's just family and, you know, mixed in together, and they're patting each other's pockets. Well, and and one of the things that you see when you, you know, start connecting the dots like Lynn does, and you see the relationships between these people, Mike Moses' son, Mason Moses, runs the rebrand of C-Scope, the Teach Resource Services. The family connections and the they Mike Moses and Bill Ratliff also started the nonprofit organization Raise Your Hand here in Texas and Jimmy Don Acock, who is on that uh, commission for the next generation of uh, assessments and accountability. His daughter is a lobbyist for was a lobbyist for Raise Your Hand, so. 
all of these dots and all of these people, just like Mary Lou said, who are patting each other's pockets are the reason why our children are being psychologically profiled from pre-K through the workforce. And I just want well, to make that clear. That's right. And uh, you didn't even mention that uh, Mike Moses has started a firm that helps to hire mm-hmm. superintendents. He, he interviews them and he gives the school board three um, choices. And all of those three choices are going to be his favorites. You know they would be. So they're right. going to get a progressive su- superintendent. Then that progressive superintendent can in turn buy Mike Moses' son's B-scope product. And that helps out too. There's, that's just collusion. It's just wrong. It's, it's a form of nepotism and I can't see how they've let it go on this long. Well, and and I think the reason why is because, um, and we'll get back to to connecting the dots with higher education. I'm, I'm sorry, I got off there. No, no, you're you're exactly right, though. I I just and I want people to understand how dangerous this is. It's collusion, and these people are are so embedded in the system. And allowing for legislators, that's why they haven't been called out because these nonprofit organizations um, pay for the campaign, the reelection campaigns of those people who will fall in line with them. Right. And we need, we need to start, you know, calling these people out and standing with people like Mary Lou Bruner who are brave enough and strong enough to, to stand in the gap. And so I just I wanted to bring you on, Mary Lou, and say thank you and, and bring that out publicly. And um, and I will be writing about it more in Voices Good. of Power um, to let people just know. Just one more so, thing. When the, yes. when the focus is on their own uh, profits and losses, then they forget to focus on the children. It's not about the children. Right when they're trying to make money for themselves. And that is what makes it so bad. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Thank you so much, Mary Lou. And Lynn, I I wanted to bring that out because I think that when we see, you know, the all of these foundations, these nonprofit organizations that are inside the system that that they have lobbyists, that they have people who are, um, you know, have congressional working groups or that have um, the ear of these legislators. That's why this legislation is is passing, in, and it's happening not just in Texas but in all 50 states. Um, would you agree with that, Lynn? Oh, absolutely. And what we need to understand, it's not just the nonprofit foundations. You have corporations mm-hmm. who are throwing huge money into this college and career readiness, this career tech education, this total alignment, because they have somehow been able to be influenced enough over those push were pushing this education reform. Um, to be influenced that, oh, yes, we need you to weigh in on what education should look like because education is in such a pickle that the educators can't figure it out. So, of course, we have to involve the, the, the business community, the corporations. And I can give you an example, and I know 
um, if we listen to every uh, person from every state who's on this call, they could probably come up with similar stories to um, Mary Lou's or to, to what I'm about to tell you. And that is with uh, some of the primary elections. When you have these candidates who are so committed to fighting this education reform and then you factor in that an opponent comes in who is backed by a well-known Common Core supporter, and what they do is to be able to be under the radar, they contribute exactly the limit to what that um, person's campaign fund can take. But think about this. Go ahead and you're, you're a, a big CEO of a big pro-Common uh, pro Core organization or corporation or business, and you encourage your employees to, oh, yes, you need to contribute to so-and-so's campaign, even though you may not live in that state. That is exactly what happened here in North Carolina with our primary that was held in March, um, on March 15th. We had five different candidates for the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. We had three Republicans and two Democrats. Now, this is not a, a partisan issue. We have been over that to all kinds of degrees. This particular education reform is absolutely not looking at what political party you are. But the two Democrats, we have the current um, sitting Department of Public Instruction Superintendent, who is also the president of the Council of Chief State School Officers, so we know there's a conflict of interest there. Her main opponent also had some huge common core ties as well. He is absolutely tied to one of the accrediting uh, organizations for higher education. Uh, but if you looked at the three Republican uh, candidates, there was only one who was staunchly anti-common core. Her closest competitor received campaign contributions from Michael Bloomberg, who has been absolutely tied to the Common Core College Career Readiness um, Career Tech Education event through what's called the Technocratic Party. He encouraged every one of his employees to contribute to her closest competitor's campaign so that he was able to absolutely bury the one person who we were so championing in this state to be able to get Common Core out of here. And it failed because of the money. And that's, that's what's happening. That's why when we had Thomas Ratliff legally on the State Board of Education, we couldn't get House members enough signatures to start an impeachment process because they were all being paid off, basically, to, to keep him in his place. The corruption um, at the legislative level is, is what's really damning and harming our, our kids. Um, oh, absolutely. Let's talk about, and um, if, if, if I'm going out of sync, Feel free to, you know, pull me back in sure. and go where you need to. But um, okay. I, I do want to talk about, um, we had mentioned the new America, Ed, but let's talk about the next America. Um, oh, Ed, yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Hang on. I have that one. Now, Senator Lamar Alexander, as we all know from, from all these calls that we've been 
together on. And I know when Karen Bracken is on, because uh, Lamar Alexander is a senator from her state, she has given us all kinds of information about him. But he is a um, he is really, really in bed, so to speak, with this Next America. And Next America, I have that particular article up. This was actually from 2015, back in June. Uh, the National Journalist Association hosted the Next America um, Foundation and Senator Lamar Alexander in what they were touting at that time was going to be a rewriting of both what was known as the H.R. 5, which was the House's version of the Student Achievement Act that we now have, and then the higher education legislation. And it was to impact and align everyone from kindergarten to college. Well, let's fast forward. We know because of the ESSA passage, it now is going to uh, get from birth all the way to college and, of course, beyond. Now, particularly what is disturbing about this next America let me see here, um, and let me tell you just a little bit about the National Journal because you're probably wondering why they factor in. They are regarded as the most influential publication in Washington. They provide more than 3 million influential um, people in public policy and business with insights that they need to make government work. Okay, what is one of the things that is causing these businesses, these corporations, and these nonprofits to get into legislation, it's the push for public policy. Okay, so I'll just add that little bit in. Okay, uh, National Journal is also part of the Atlantic Media Group. They own the Atlantic Magazine. So those who are from the upper um, northeast part of the country or whomever subscribes to the Atlantic, this is who is behind this particular thing. They have been able to um, be a featured guest with the Aspen Institute, and the Aspen Institute is tied into Common Core by the tune of $3 million. They've also been pushing all kinds of things that are going to be this outcome competency-based education. Uh, they're also behind the digital push in the classroom as well. All right, let me see, uh, get down here to the New America itself. All right, the Next America is what they're referring to. That is their re-envisioned um, uh, idea of what America is supposed to be. It's not necessarily a foundation. It's more a vision. And the fact that Senator Lamar Alexander is in the middle of it should frighten everyone because we can go back and we can look at his uh, track record with education and there's this one video that I know is out there. It's on YouTube. It's from the late 80s, I believe it is, where he's sitting there and telling you his vision. And it was absolutely what we're seeing now happen. You're, you're exactly right. That, that video is one of the most telling <laughs> um, videos of Lamar Alexander and um, – why people do not understand that this is not a Republican versus Democrat. This is a um, collaboration, if you will. They came to consensus, <laughs> the Republicans and the Democrats. And, and I do know as well with the Aspen Institute, one of their key 
um, programs, um, and I'm trying to pull it up now, um, the um, the lead person on that program um, was actually Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush is very involved with the Aspen Institute as well, and the right. The, so it, they're all they are all connected. They are definitely oh, absolutely all absolutely they are. But here was one of the things that I found really kind of very sad when Lamar Alexander was. Um, pretty much trying to break his arm, patting himself on the back during Dr. John King's confirmation um, speech, he gave us a huge clue, and that was when he decided to make the confirmation more about himself than Dr. King, and what I mean by that is he sat there and started his speech off with, 25 years ago, this very same day, I was in a confirmation hearing for the exact position you are taking. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if that doesn't tell you that this person needs to be out of Washington in a heartbeat, nothing will. 25 years, the man has either been in education or in legislation which influences education and not just from a K-12 perspective. That, that's exactly right. And um, we do have Karen Bracken um, on the call tonight. I have um, unmuted her line. Karen, do you want to make a comment on that, um, Lamar Alexander, and join in? Give us your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wayne has just about said it all. And uh, that uh, video that you talk about from 1989, it's funny. I had found that thing a long time ago. And I used to use it in Tennessee to open up my presentations on um, Common Core, um, just to to let people know that you know as far back as 1989, and that was the year that uh, video was made in Kansas. And um, you know he was saying back then that you know parents just don't have any clue about what's going on with their children or education or in the world today. And you know that philosophy has carried through um, right up to current time. Um, he also, in that video, talked about the new American school. And when you listen to it, it was like um, you know this fantasy that he had about the new American school. And two years later, he actually did implement the New American School. And he had all kinds of corporations funding it. And there was a big press conference and the whole bit. Um, it, it never really took off. Um, so yeah, I mean, he he's horrible. And we worked really hard to get rid of him in the last election. Um, one of our state house representatives by the name of Joe Carr a very conservative Christian man. Um, he stood with us fighting against Common Core back when no other legislators in the state of Tennessee would even listen to us about it. And we fought really hard to get him um, to replace Lamar Alexander. Uh, he, he didn't lose by much, and um, but he did lose. And uh, just thinking how different things would have been if, if Lamar Alexander would have been replaced. But it didn't happen, so we're stuck with him for six years. Um, and um, and yeah, and that is why I think it is so important for us to be connecting these dots um, because 
these visions that these people have had for a long time and and the fact that they are in positions of power and that there is access to the you know uh 21 billion dollars to to implement these things and and all of these foundations and nonprofit organizations and organizations like the Aspen Institute um these are they have the money to to actually do this and what's scary um i was able to pull up this um report from the uh aspen institute and um the lead person on the task force was jeb bush and um it's the learner at learner at the center of a networked world Think about that for a minute. After listening to the conference call from last week, learner at the center of a networked world, and think about that um, video of Barack Obama in 2009 when he spoke in Cairo and he talked about how um, a child in Kansas City could be connected with a child in um, Cairo um, or in Saudi Arabia. This is, they truly want this networked world where our children can go to class, basically, and have a teacher from anywhere in the world. There is no need for a teacher in a local community school when you can sit in front of a computer and have access and that teacher on the other side has all the data that's been collected on that individual to create a um, learner-centered curriculum around that individual child. Who has control over that child? The parent or this networked world? Um, am I far off on that, Lynn? Oh, absolutely not. You have got huge organizations out there who are profiling um, our children, not just in K-12, through but uh, they're profiling these post-secondary degrees. Um, but before I get into that, I wanted to mention that I did a follow-up article on the um, Lamar Alexander and the, the Next America and this is where I give you a blow-by-blow blow of what he wanted to do with the HEA, which is currently um, being rewritten. Now, we haven't heard much about it because um, I know that they're busy working on it. But here are just a few of the things that um, they're going to try to implement into the HEA and that, as we have seen, with the renewing of the HEA in December 2015 and the express purpose for renewing it, now not reauthorizing it, uh, renewing it was to extend the Perkins funding, which goes for career tech education, so that no student would experience an interruption in their uh, career pathways. Um, but here are some of the other things, and a lot of these are going are already being touted by the mainstream media as arguments as to why we have to reauthorize the HEA. And one of them is new technology in post-secondary education, again, that push for digital learning, having colleges join in on student debt load, broadening incentives to colleges, broadening mandates that go with those incentives, uh, more student data collection, ramping up the college rating system and data collection, um, 
public college, debt-free students, free college, or nearly free. We know those some of those plans are already in place by not Congress, but the White House. Okay, and one of the things that I wanted to point out before we go um, into these profiling of degrees is that a lot of this push for the higher education is going to come from the 2006 Spellings Report, and that directly relates to uh, Mrs. Spellings. She was over the Department of Education at one point. She came up with this really damning article or, or study over how uh, higher education had to be career aligned, it had to be competency based, and this sort of thing. She currently is the president over the entire university system for North Carolina. And she brought with it not only her report, but her agenda, her backers, and if you read the plans that she has just for this state, it is bone chilling. And some of the things that are going on under her leadership are absolutely, you have, it's just beyond deplorable. And one of the things that, that I wanted um, to bring up about this is that one of my followers gave me some information about one of the professors who happens to be under uh, Ms. Spelling's uh, jurisdiction right now, and she's using her zoology course to teach bestiality based on the new social justice agenda and tying it back to our competency-based um, education system. Now, say that again. I, I want people to hear this because mm -hmm. you really want me to say that again. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. And the oh. reason why is because we, this whole, you know, college and career ready, things that we are taking issues and um, things that are developmentally inappropriate. And one of the things that, that we've talked about is the fact that we save all this money to send our children to college and we send them off to college away from their home and mm -hmm. they are in the hands of these professors. Right. And so when your child is taking a college class, Explain, say that again, what she's using her zoology class for. Okay, this particular professor who has a very left-wing social agenda justice mindset is a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's using her zoology class to teach bestiality based on social justice and competency-based education that ties back to the Common Core, the career tech education, and this is all under uh, Spelling's jurisdiction. This is just one of the things she brought to North Carolina or is condoning. I'm not saying that uh, Spelling's is, is teaching this, no, but she's condoning it. And I have an article where she gives you the vision for the entire university system here in North Carolina. And it is so uh, common core, career tech, college career readiness, uh, uh, globally minded. It's like you read it in someone like me who knows where all the dots are, 
I'm sitting there screaming up and down, and no one else gets it because they don't see it. But because this one follower of mine sent me this information, and she was like, can you believe this? I don't know what to do with this. Why is this not criminal? And and you're exactly right. Why is it not criminal? And Why is it being allowed? You know, I'm thinking about not just any student, but I'm thinking about especially those homeschool students who've been protected from Common Core their entire career. And you're exactly right. You save the money. You send them off to college. They're away from you. And boom, they want to go be a zoologist. But if they take this particular professor's course, they're not going to be taught zoology in its true form. They're going to be taught some demented, despicable uh, aspect of zoology. It's it's very scary. It's very scary, and and you know it makes it even that much more important that we understand what's happening in education, and that this shift away from actual knowledge based to competency based. Explain, Lynn, what what competency based means for for people that may not understand. Okay, the 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 quickest explanation I can give for competency-based education, you need to go back to the document that the U.S. Department of Labor put out in the early 2000s, and it was called the SCANS Report. And in that particular report, it gave you 16 competencies that each student should have to be employable. Now, among those 16, we had the the absolutely expectable ones of reading and writing and math, but then they took it a step further and started going into the social and emotional competencies or what the the modern catchphrase I think is is the soft skills. And these would go more into your character. Things that should never be assessed or cannot be really truly assessed on some high stakes formative or summative assessment, but yet that's exactly what we're finding. And because of the ESSA language, because of the language in the current HEA, the Higher Education Act, we are seeing that those particular um, competencies are absolutely being measured and used against our students. And what is disturbing in one of these recent webinars that I went to is that teachers are now going to have access to those kinds of data points and have to use them against their own students. And the reason is, is so that they can adhere to these uh, common core standards or challenging state academic standards or whatever name you want to stick on them. Because if they want to get further in their education career, they have to dance to the Piper's tune. And, and these, when they say that they are aligning these new assessments, whether they're called next generation assessments, whether they're, whether it's the GED, whether, um, it, the different assessments that they are giving to our kids and that they are aligned, they have said that they are aligning to this common core philosophy of education or to this soft skills notion. One of the main companies that is involved in this and, um, you know, in Texas, Pearson lost the contract for the 
um, STAR end of course exams, but now ETS has the contract, and ETS is um, an heir is who actually um, testified or gave the presentation at last week at the next generation of assessments and accountability. Can you talk to us a little bit, Lynn, about ETS and the danger okay. of these assessments? All right. Well, before I tell you a little bit about ETS, let me tell you about two particular students. And I went into this on my broadcast that I did earlier today, so I'm not going to try to repeat too terribly much of it. But I wanted to share this person, these two personal stories. Um, ETS, Educational Testing Service, is a, 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 oh goodness, a subsidiary of Kaplan. Kaplan also partners with what's called Prometric Testing Centers. Prometric partners with the Educational Records Bureau. Okay, so can you catch the data mining that's going on? Now, what is so heinous about the particular ETS and the Kaplan um, connection is that Kaplan is the one who is the provider for the graduate records examination. And if you have someone in post-secondary education who's about to graduate, they're going to be uh, starting to gear up for that particular examination because the way our college system works, if you wish to go on and pursue a master's degree or you're going to go even higher than the master's, uh, I think it's the doctorate, you have to take these graduate record examinations. Now, what is so bad about these particular um examinations, not only are they extremely costly, and I'm looking at their particular website right now, and they have a spring special. If you want to have your uh, about-to-graduate-from-college student take the GRE, which is a requirement, by the way, at a lot of the graduate-level and doctorate-level uh, institutions, there's no way around it. You have to take this because it's supposed to assess you on what you know about your major. So, great, you have to take this particular assessment. Well, here's here's one thing. It's exorbitantly cost. Right now, if you took their private tutoring course to get ready for the GRE that's offered in a couple of months, you need to fork out $2,200, excuse me, $2,300. If you want to do an in-person consultation to groom you for this particular assessment, it's $1,099. And if you want to do all this online, it's a mere $800. Now, here's what is, is so bad about this. This comes out of the student's pocket. This does not get covered by any sort of financial aid. It doesn't get covered by any corporation, it's out of either the student's pocket or mom and dad who's putting um, said child through college, okay? If you don't elect to do any of these particular um, um, packages, if you will, you, you, of course, are going to have to pay for the GRE. The GRE is a mere $245 per time you take it. But just like Pearson, Kaplan has groomed these particular assessments to fail. And so what I mean by that, and it's a brilliant business model, um, it, it's despicable, but it's brilliant, and that is 
you get a student to uh, groom for an assessment. They take the assessment. The assessment is automatically geared to score you low or to fail you. So what do you have to do? You have to take the study material all over again, then pay for another assessment. So we're making $245 a pop off of every person who doesn't go through the study program. If I'm going through the study program, which, by the way, is supposed to guarantee you that you pass the GRE, you're forking out much, much more. Now, these two personal stories that I have to tell you, one of the students um, who I've been able to meet um, who took this particular GRE took the um, seven or eight hundred dollar package and you have to take at least a hundred and eighty hours of test prep over a five thousand practice test to get through this cycle okay to guarantee that you're going to do well on the GRE Gary did this he did not do well so what does Gary do He has to take it all over again so that he can get into the school that would most likely take him for his major. Now, Erica took um, the, she did not take any of these packages. She just shelled out the $245 per assessment. She goes through, she does it the first time, does not do as well goes back and studies some more on her own, pays another $245, which she did not really have, to take it yet again to bump up the score so that she could be attractive to those uh, graduate schools which she wanted to pursue to further her educational career. Because in her particular major, just a bachelor's would not do it. She had to have a graduate or more. Now, that does, while that is cost prohibitive, here's one of the other horrible things about it. Because Kaplan uses Prometric testing centers, Prometrics is huge into the biometrics. So what these two students had to do was not only insert their finger into a fingerprinting reading machine, they had to have eye scans and they had test monitoring systems the entire time which monitored blood pressure, heart rate, um, brain activity, the entire scope of what we have heard nightmarish stories about are being used on our post-secondary about to graduate from college students. It was absolutely traumatic for both these students, and it has absolutely not only stressed them out, but now has given them a bad taste in their mouth for pursuing even further in their careers. Wow. Folks, this is this is the path that we are now going down, and, you know, so many people think that they have to to do this um, in order to get further down their career. We are allowing our children and ourselves to be basically used as guinea pigs for these technology companies. And the these assessments and these benchmarks that are coming into our our children's classrooms, um, you know, from pre-K through the workforce are psychologically profiling students. When in history 
has this ever been allowed to happen? This is, um, it, it's uh, been stopped uh, in the past, but this is remarkable. It, it is absolutely stunning. And one of the ways that they're profiling our higher education students, and remember, this includes any person, whether they've just graduated high school or they're returning to college to further their career. Some of the, these, these are, these are people who are being encompassed as well. The five areas that our post-secondary um, students of any age are being profiled on are applied skills, their civic skills, their broad and integrative knowledge, specialized knowledge, and their intellectual skills. And if you listened to that, um, I don't know if your listeners have had time to look at that C-SPAN link that you shared, but one of the things that kept coming up was that they're doing it not to measure academic prowess as we used to, but are they employable? Can they enter the workforce? Can they meet what big businessman says? And here's the, here's the, the thing that absolutely shocked me was that there was even a hint that as involved as the businesses are in all this alignment, they don't understand the transcripts. And if they look at a child's transcript, or an adult's transcript and say, okay, so-and-so is applying for a job, if they can't equate what that transcript means for their business, they're not going to hire the person. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, Could I just that's say something thing. about the, the testing um, of these students where they hooked them up and did their brain scans and everything? Think about the fact that they are over 18 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. So they can get away with it because they're over 18. But, you know, what, what I see happening is a desensitization. If these kids, these students, hundreds and thousands of them, go through this routine, when they have children of their own, these, these people will be more receptive to allowing their younger post-college children our pre-college children from going um, through these same gyrations. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, well, they did this to me when I was in graduate school. Oh, it's no big deal. And, you know, it's that desensitization um, Mm -hmm. for future generations that will allow this to happen to our young children in, in schools. Right. Well, here's one of the things that I noticed, Karen. I'm glad you brought that up because you're exactly right. But here was one of the things that I noticed. Um, the GRE um, test book that I have comes with a DVD, and on the DVD you have this really chirpy young um, professional, and she's telling the kids, you know, this is how you prepare, this, you know, blah, 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 this is what you can expect. She never says you're going to be biometrically measured, but when you go on the Prometric website and you look at the videos of um, what what applied standards are used and the, uh, what to expect on test day, they absolutely go over it. And if you've got a student who is doing all they can to just show up and take the test like Erica, they're not going to have the, the privilege of knowing, oh, I'm going to be biometrically measured. What they know is they have to take this test to further their educational career. And so it's causing folks to make 
horrible compromising decisions in the sake of furthering their education and it's also just lampooning them with a massive debt. I want to I want to bring up the fact too um you know Garrett, Dr. Gary Thompson out of Utah has uh written um, and, and spoken many times about um, the danger of the psychological assessments and profiling. And he, I just want to let people know, he sent out, I posted it earlier today on Facebook, but um, his um, practice has written, he wrote an article or a blog post basically just um, eviscerating air and um, and the sage test uh, uh, assessments that are happening in Utah, but it's the same exact. It's happening in all 50 states. I mean, when we heard um, Mike Morath uh, during his testimony at the um, Next Generation of Assessments, and he actually wants Texas to have formalized non-cognitive soft skills as standards, um, which is exactly what what you're talking about. Um, this is so dangerous. And I just want to read real quick because from, from Gary's article, um, he's talking about when he was in um, school um, learning to to basically do these psychological um, tests on students and um, he talks about he was in his third year as a doctoral student um, at the California Family Counseling Center and um, he had done a a report on a 14-year-old girl and um, his uh, um, professor who he was under called him in and she said, "Um, Gary, I've decided to place you on formal clinical probation for 30 days. You will not be allowed to test or see live clients under my license during this time. You show great promise as a future clinician in the field of psychological assessment. However, I believe your current level, and I think this is really important, she said, I believe your current level of intellectual arrogance is hindering your professional development and I'm uncomfortable granting you the privilege of working with clients under my professional license. He goes on to say, Dr. Jones then went over my test report, report which was riddled with red pen corrections. She expertly went over multiple examples of how I relied too much on testing result numbers and arrogantly and definitively based most multiple potentially life-changing clinical conclusions on these numbers alone. For example, in the clinical summary section of the report, I wrote, client's test results clearly show she has ADHD as well as multiple learning disabilities as outlined in the diagnosis section of this report. Dr. Jones replaced that line with the following. Although test results indicate strong tendencies towards multiple cognitive and behavioral disorders, multiple background issues of this client strongly suggest that testing results 
be viewed and interpreted with great caution. That's one of the things that Dr. Thompson has been warning about is that if he as a doctor in practice did the type of so- uh, psychologically profiles on mm-hmm. on his patients, he would be taken out of practice. And yet we're wow. allowing we're allowing our children um, for this to be coming in. And the arrogance, the mm-hmm. arrogance of people like Mike Morath and 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 all of these people in the in the legislature and on these commissions who think it's okay to collect our children and our and their teachers' private data, not to to necessarily target a single person, but to do interpretive diagnostic assessment and reporting and then to let software programs create curriculum and intervene on the attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors of our students. This, kids, this is criminal. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely is. And it is absolutely getting not only the rubber stamp, but we've got Folks from, um, oh my goodness, that particular C-SPAN um, uh, discussion, if you listened to it, and if you haven't, I urge you to, because it is absolutely full of so many red flags um, about the, the way that college is going. Um, they're considering, believe this or not, uh, a NAEP for college. Look at the damage NAEP has done to K-12, but yet we're going to do it to college as well. Well, of course we are if we're going to streamline education from birth to grade. We've got to. But a NAEP for college, we're going to do the same mess that didn't work for K-12, but we're going to now apply it to post-secondary and hope it all works out? It's... It's really, um, it's so disheartening, and um, I want to bring on Lynette, and Lynette, I'm totally putting you on the spot, but I, I want to talk about this because um, I, I said we were going to talk about it last week, but I just want to put this carrot out there um, because the idea of, you know, you've got all the national opt-out and, and you've got all this state opt-out, and, and people are saying opt-out of the test. And it, like here in Texas, they're saying, you know, opt-out of the STAR test. They have, These people have no idea, I don't believe, parents really have the idea that just by opting out of a, a particular test that what's going to replace those tests are these formative psychological profiles. And I think that the idea of having, you know, a a national opt-out day um, where it's not even necessarily for the test but opting out for the day and then um, having people, instead of just opting out and keeping your kids home for the day, actually going to the Capitol um, and and having a press conference or doing some kind of publicly public pushback is a is a really great idea. And Lynette, um, I, I wanted to let you kind of come on and talk about that a little bit 
before we get off the line and, and tell us the ideas that, that you've been um, talking to Ginger about and um, and maybe we can kind of get the at least get the ball rolling. So, Lynette, are you there? I am. Thank, Thank you, you Lynette. And I know that you've got, you know, you've had children go through the, the college system, and so um, as a mom, I, I can imagine that this is near and dear to your heart as well. It is. I, You know, every week that I listen, I keep thinking, what can we do? What can we do? I think last week it was Lynn that said we're about 10 years behind. So I just thought, you know, if now um, we're all supposedly on the same page where we're not just, you know, fighting um, Common Core in our state, um, what could we do on a national level? Um, the I like the term refuse, like Karen had mentioned before, it's a little stronger, um, that we really were refusing to um, bend to the tyranny of um, of what's coming down, you know, for our children. So um, at first I thought, yeah, we could go to the Capitol on maybe July 3rd um, because, and maybe even write a whole new Declaration of Independence um, just for this. But then after hearing Lynn talk about the um, Twitter rally, I was thinking maybe just to really wake people up, um, just so maybe they would pay attention more. I, uh, I don't have any any answers. It was just an idea. So. And I, I think it's a great idea. And, and Lynn, I, you know, you've done such a great job, and, and Karen as well. I mean, there have been, um, you know, rallies and, and different things that have happened, and I just don't think that we can stop. And I think that there has got to be some kind of a awakening um, to counter um, with this opt-out movement, I, I think that it's, it's valid in many respects, and um, but it, with coming in next, I don't think people understand um, on, a, on a large scale. Um, Karen, give us your take first, and then um, Lynn, give us your take, and then we'll close out, Lynn, and if you have anything else that you want to cover tonight before we get off, um, and then we'll continue the conversation because there's so much I know that you have. Um, so, Karen, your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm always game for anything. I think the Twitter uh, um, is a good idea. Uh, I've even attended these Twitter events <coughs> where they actually have guest speakers. You know, like a, a person will come on the, the Twitter event and actually give like a five-minute presentation. Have you ever have you ever been involved in those? Um, the event that we had in Texas, Alice. Um, yes. Yeah. Right. We we had some of these Twitter events that lasted for like two hours. We were on the event actually twittering, but tweeting, twittering, tweeting. <laughs> but all through the event, you, you know, you had your screen up, and there were actual speakers would come on and do a little presentation. Crystal Swayze was one of them, and. Um, you know, I, I was on there myself, and, and we would just give, you know, little presentations on things. And that's where we could bring in these 
issues, the things that Lynn has, has been telling us and teaching us about and, um, and, and educating people on this stuff while this Twitter event is taking place. Um, you know, I mean, I myself here in Tennessee tried to do that. Um, basically what I tried to do is get parents at the end of the school year, because trying to get parents to withdraw their kids from school for a week during the school year, it, it, it's impossible. I have babysitting issues, blah, 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 blah. But in the summer, right. in the summer, all parents already have arrangements made for their children. So my thing was, at the end of school, withdraw your child. Everybody just mass withdraw your child on the last day of school. Now you got all through the summer, the school is like, what the heck is going on? Are these kids coming back? They don't know if the kids are coming back. You know, and through the summer, you can either decide to put your kid in, in, in homeschool program and not return them to school or, you know, come August, September, whenever you go back to school, re-register your children. You know, it's it's time. It's time to unregister them and just tell the school you're going to put them in private school or homeschool. Let the school sweat it out for the summer, not knowing whether these kids are going to come back or not. And and then, you know, decide to either re-enroll them in September or it's August here or, you know, put them in a homeschool program. But that was something we tried here. It didn't really go off very well. Um, parents are very hesitant, you know, even when you arm them with the education, they understand what's going on, they see it, they know it, but they, they've lost something. I, I don't know what it is, they've lost that fight. They, they don't think they have a voice or the power to do anything. And it's, you know, like I get parents saying, well, what will I do if they tell me that I have to take my kid home. Or what will I do if they tell me I can't bring my kid to school that day? And I'm like, I just can't believe the parents are actually asking me these questions. You know, right. what do you well, mean? What? <laughs> I do, I do. But I know where I was three years ago when we first started having these conference calls. And I wasn't uh-huh. there yet. You know, it, it, it's a journey. It, you have to go through the, the process of understanding what's actually happening to your child. And I think that we're almost at a tipping point where the Common Core brand, if you will, everyone knows that Common Core is bad. They don't know I mean, even our presidential candidates have no clue that Mm-mm. by saying we're going to get rid of Common Core that they can't do that. Um, yeah. And so, but I do think that there is a shift happening. Lynn, what do you think? Do you think that parents are, are waking up more now than before? Oh, well, first of all, let me tell Lynette, I think it's a great idea to opt out. Here's my problem with the entire opt out movement. We're opting, we're choosing to opt out of only the assessments. And we've right. talked about this on several calls. It's not enough. It's a great start. It's just not enough because what the companies who are creating the curriculum that is aligned to whatever name you want to stick onto it standard, 
what the companies are doing is they've gotten savvy enough to the opt-out assessment movement that they have shifted and embedded the assessments in the everyday uh, plug-and-play programs that our kids are hooked up to. So our kids are being continually assessed. It's just the parents don't know it because it's not that end-of-course or end-of-grade big deal. So we've got to do more than just opt out of assessments. I think Karen has some great ideas. Yank them out of school. Um, also, you've brought it up before as well, Alice. Opt them out of everything digital. I don't really mm-hmm. care, and I don't say this because I don't have a dog in this fight. I say this because it's the right thing to do. It doesn't matter what the cost. The cost in your mind should be my child I don't give a rat's butt how old they are is my child and what this system is doing to my child is criminal it's unacceptable and I'm using my gumption to stand up and say no that's it that's it right there I I mean I really think I testified this was probably two years ago, down at the State Board of Education on the, the new math teaks. And I said, if we're giving our kids poison, do we keep giving them poison because the poison was expensive? Exactly. I mean, we're, that's what we're doing to our kids. And it's... I mean, um, well, well, think about it. You, you know, you would die for your child if it was a life and death situation right mm-hmm. we all would mm-hmm. any good parent would do that this is a life and death situation maybe not physically right. in some cases absolutely physical this is a life and death situation that is far beyond anything we could in- ever imagine and that is their mental state no grade no assessment no alignment is worth the mental compromising of our future leaders and citizens, I don't care how old they are. Now, I think um, the the Twitter rally event live action thing could take Lynette's idea and Karen's idea. I think we could absolutely go miles with that. We've got to be ahead of the Pro Common Core uh, arena, and they're using April the 3rd, especially the NEA, which has totally backed every bit of this alignment mess, as they're, we're taking the, what the ESSA means to the classroom parents, and we're going to give them our take on what ESSA means. We've got to, to beat that or countermand it or lessen it somehow, because if you get a pro-common core group as powerful as the NEA into the parents' arena first, anything that comes after it is going to be muted. So we've got to act quickly. And that's on April the 3rd? Yep. They're going to start their, their, it's called the Spring Into ESSA campaign that they will be championing. And according to uh, Lily Garcia on her blog, she said, check with your local NEA affiliates to find out what events, because they're going to be doing all these touchy-feely kind of awesome um uh just um 
entice you into, hey, this is what we know about ESSA, and this is why it's good, and this is why it brings back state control, and this is why it will be the best thing for your child, and this will be why Common Core is gone. And it's just like they're hypnotizing folks. We've got to do something. So, yes, take Lynette's idea. Take Karen's. Combine it. Do something. Right. I will be, and and they've got it on um, education votes and all of the the people inside the bubble, inside the system are going to be, uh, this is going to hit them hard, and we've got to well, counter sure it. Well, sure it will. We we've do. Got we've got to, to. counter it. And we have mere days to do it. But, you know, God made the world in seven days. We can absolutely rock their world in less. So, and that's not me being presumptuous. Right. It's just saying we're using the God-given voice that we have and, and we're going to have to do it. As far as anything else that I want to add, I know I gave you a ton of resources for the followers to delve into. It's going to take time. We absolutely need to continue this conversation because, as I have said, till I'm blue in the face, our kids are our kids no matter how old, and we cannot stand by and let our nation continue to go to hell in a handbasket this way at our kids' cost. That's it. You're exactly right. Let's close out tonight in prayer. Lord, we just come to you on bended knee, and we come to you asking for your help. We know that what is coming in, we see it, and you have given us the eyes to see and the discernment to understand, and now we ask you to give us the courage to go out and take this information And warn and let people know the reality on the ground that they must stop what they are doing and stand in the gap and protect our children, our grandchildren, and the next generation of Americans. Lord, we just ask you to give us divine intervention to be the voice, to be your hand on our children. Lord, we ask you to watch over those teachers, those administrators, those superintendents, those legislators, people who are being fed misinformation. Lord, give them the eyes to see and the discernment to see the truth and the harm that this is doing to our children. Lord, we ask you to be with each and every person on this call and each and every person who listens to the archive of this call, give us the courage that we need to stand for you in your glory and in your name. We ask this in your glory and your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. Thank you. And we will be back next week, same time, same place, and we will keep fighting in the battle. Thank you so much, Karen and Lynn and Lynette. I appreciate your insight and wisdom. Have a great evening. Bye-bye.